that's what most athletes don't have the will to do. It really wants to happen immediately. They lack patience. So number one, the way to avoid injury is to be patient. Your body will adapt if you give it time. boys a swim run podcast i'm chip i'm chris and this is episode 115 of the show this week's episode chipper is one for the books it is friend of the pod bill lankford from team mr mrs b suggested that we do an episode on helping quote-unquote older folks get into endurance events and swim running in particular so we couldn't think of a better person to ask to come on the show and that he somehow agreed to do this Mm -hmm. than the legendary endurance coach joe freel so this is seriously a great conversation, and we're really blessed to have him on the show. This is wild. Can't so, believe it. So excited. And it wasn't, I think it was, it was, it wasn't just focused squarely. I was sort of about it's applicable like. applicable for a it, lot of people. I, yeah. as a, and someone squarely in their 30s, uh, every bit of uh, knowledge bombs that Coach Frail was dropping, yeah. I was, I was mentally note-taking. Yeah, it was good. Uh, but first, training update. So this would have been. We would be squarely in uh, taper mode for Utsala yeah. Catalina right now at, at the time recording as it, it, it would have been this weekend. Hashtag sad face. Hashtag, yeah, hashtag sad face, of course. But uh, in, instead, we're now training for Swarm Run Lake James, which is now just five weeks away. Yeah. Five weeks away. So in lieu of Utsala Catalina, I'll be down doing some rust busting and some swim running this weekend on the island of Catalina. And Chris... We'll be trying not to bust during the LA Marathon that Just he's running with um, friend of the show uh, John from the Concho Boys. That's right. Way back in episode yeah. uh, one ten or something like that. Something like that was Partners know, Month. Partners Month. Yeah. So it was a uh, only you know f- only a few episodes ago. Yeah, check it out. So we're, we will be we'll both in, be, in general the yeah. same vicinity. Yeah, the psychic tether will still be oh, attached. Yes. And Chris. Pinky promise I won't be tethering to anyone else <laughs> during this weekend. You know, we haven't talked about that. Okay. I don't know if you want to air it out on the show right now. but <laughs> We'll handle it in behind closed doors. <laughs> now, first, shout-outs. Yeah, so this week we're shouting out our newest patron on Patreon, uh, Brooke Fallon. That name sounds, that sounds familiar. familiar. <laughs> it's like super, super familiar. She has been a supporter of us even before she was a patron, and we're just super thankful for her supporting our podcast journey. So stay fearless, Brooke. Love yes. you. Thank you so much. And I was just telling my wife, I'm like, this is how amazing this whole low tide boys thing we're doing. Like, literally, this person was a guest on our show, and now they're like, oh, we're going to support you. I'm, I'm like, well, this isn't how this normally is supposed to work. Yeah, but, we're not uh, planning it that okay. way. Okay. Really appreciate it. And thank you so much. <laughs> Definitely. Now for this week's Feats of Endurance winner. This week's winner is Luong from Indonesia. Posts a ride over the weekend, and it's just so cool that we have folks at our Low Tide Boy Strava Club even living in Indonesia, let alone achieving feats of endurance. Totally. Again, I think uh, every every week Chris and I are always like, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> can't believe this happened. We have someone in Indonesia, yeah. uh, you know, you have uh sorry Tanzania Tanzania Puerto Rico getting shoein 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 feats of endurance winners now what you might be thinking chipper chris what are you guys talking about these feats of endurance well you need to head on over to strava search low tide boys and join our club 
there. And you could see everyone who's in that club, what they're doing, what they're up to. You'll see Chris's marathon on Sunday. You'll see me doing some swim runs Yeah, you'll on see Catalina. like 40 different separate workouts. A bunch of activities <laughs> from me just, you know, trying to get all the kudos I can. But it's a great place to be and hang out there. Now over to This Week in Swim Run. All right, welcome to the LTBZ News Desk. Down under in Australia, the 26KM Transcape Swim Run took place this past weekend. It's great to see this event grow the last few years since mm-hmm. we've been paying attention and also great to see more Australians getting into the sport of swim run. Australia actually is in our top 10 in total downloads Ooh. in terms of country. So, nice. so good on you there. If you're looking for a cool race plan in the next few weeks, well, hero swim run is going down on March 26th in Rio de Janeiro. If you can get there, please go. Just go for Just, us. You got to go do it for us. As a programming alert, Fabio Iskandarian of Hero Swim Run will be joining us at the news desk in a few weeks for our special slash super random segment, Race Director Reports. So you'll hear it firsthand from the man himself. How I, I love those. Went. I love the race, the, the, the reports. Yeah. It's great hearing. And Fabio was a guest, episode 61. 61. There you go. Nice one, buddy. Year two. That would have been year two. That would have been year two. <laughs> I can do math. Great job. Finally, our friends at Wild Swimrun announced the date for this year's Uta Swimrun Camp. This year's camp will be on the weekend of May 14th, so make sure you follow them on Instagram for more details about that and or sign up at raceid.com. Now for shameless plug, we're raising money to help fund scholarships for women and girls to be able to participate in Wild Swimrun events through their Wild Youth Initiative. We've already funded two scholarships with the help of our community and our listeners to date, but we obviously want to keep it going. If you're interested in contributing to that, just go to our website and scroll down to the bottom of the homepage or just click the link that's in the show notes. Yeah, there's a giant Wild Swim Run logo. And a donate button. And a donate button. Click that. Try to make it easy for you all. Yeah. That's it for this week. Feel free to reach out to us if you have any news you'd like for us to share on the show. Yes. Now on to Low Tide Boys updates. Dollar dollar bills, y'all. We're trying to save you some. We got hella discount codes for you, so we're rolling those out. So you may have heard last week the fine folks at Precision Fuel and Hydration have chosen to uh, support the Low Tide Boys as, as we press on to the Utila, the Swarm Run World Championship. And they, uh, it's not just Chris and I getting wonderful hydration and fuel products. They're sharing the love with you. So they set up the code LOWTIDE22. That's going to save you a cool 15% off your first order. Wink, wink. Wink. 15% off first order. Trust us. Try their hydration and their gels. I They have these. I packed. I'm already getting ahead of my Catalina. I packed a jumbo gel. Oh, yeah. Which is one newer, a newer yeah. product that they have. It is like three, three gels, gels in, one. in one. It has 90 grams of carbs in one gel, and it's kind of in... Um, for any parents out there, it's in like a baby food package, sort of, yeah. but it has all the pH, uh, you know, branding on it, obviously. Uh, but I'm looking forward to trying that out. And then I love the 1000s, but Chris is a 1500. That's because we know because we took the sweat test. That's right. And we did. Which um, you can take it online. <laughs> yeah, you can take all that stuff online. But and additionally, our good friends at Odyssey Swarm Run gave the code Low Tide Boys, that's with a Z, 
And that's good for 15% off your registration for any and all 2022 events. So we hope to see you all there at their first race this season, which is Casco Bay in Maine. And that's in July now. I can't wait. I am looking forward to that. We will see you there. Definitely. Now, without any further ado, we're going to hear what the legendary coach Joe Friel has to say. Yeah, it was a very uh, Wayne's World moment to interview Coach Joe Friel. And, uh, you know, just I should just say there's an Easter egg in the show notes for folks. That moment was made even more so by how welcoming he was and how generous he was with his time. In this conversation, we focus on topics of training specifically for older adults, but we also peppered him with a bunch of listener questions. And despite me almost ruining the interview with oh, yeah. uh, the last question, uh, Despite that, this interview was a lot of fun and somehow raised our already ridiculous high opinion of Joe Friel. Um, I learned a ton. And honestly, I, I think this is maybe the first or second interview where I've been kind of like in awe of the guest. Mm-hmm. And just being like, because like, I mean, this guy was huge in my sort of I mean, endurance An endurance journey. Like, like yeah. we said in the interview, literally, when I got into triathlon, I was like, well, I better get this triathlete training Bible book. Bible. And that's his... That's his book, and I read it, and I took the workouts there. But one thing that I think we really – that I really highlighted with Coach was um, just how, like, balanced of an approach that he had. I think when, when you know, you keep hearing about, oh, burnout and all this different stuff and, oh, uh, this and that, it's like the, the, the nuggets that he was dropping, it just was like, oh, yeah, that that's such a balanced – way to approach this and you just see how it's a very sustainable way to to train and and live your life yeah i enjoyed it it was great it was great and uh despite me almost ruining the interview you'd still listen it was it was was very good yeah Yeah, it was great so we're gonna have to come up with uh low tide boys notepads because we keep telling people (laughs) to to take notes but i don't think anyone writes anymore oh yeah okay what digital notes digital notes perfect Mental notes. That works too. So without any further ado, here it is. The legendary coach, the legendary endurance coach, Coach Joe Friel. big inspiration for this interview was Bill Langford. He's a 58-year-old swim runner that has done some of the hardest races out there with his wife, Chrissy. And he suggested that we highlight helping older folk, quote-unquote older folks, getting into endurance events and swim running in particular. And we couldn't think of a better person to ask to come on than the legendary endurance coach, Joe Friel. Coach Friel, it's an honor to welcome you to the show. Thank you very much, Chris and Chipper. Happy to be here. Yeah, I mean, this, happy to have you. This is a huge thrill. We we're talking about before we went on that you know I have a very dog-eared copy of Going Long and had it. I, I think I gave away my copy of the triathletes training bible to to a new to a new triathlete. So it's 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 super cool to have you on. And um, you really for for basically an entire generation of triathletes, you don't need an introduction. But for those who might be new to this, mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to become a coach in the first place? Yeah, sure. Well, let's see, back in the 70s, let's just go back a long ways. I won't go through all the details, just hit the highlights. <laughs> back in the 70s, I was a high school track and field coach. And um, to improve my my knowledge of what I was doing, I got a, got my master's degree in exercise science in, back in the 70s. 
And by 1980, I realized that I wasn't really enjoying teaching anymore. And uh, while I enjoyed working with the, the athletes, uh, I decided to get out of the teaching career field, which meant leaving coaching also. So I opened a running store. And uh, people kept coming in knowing I had a degree in exercise science, knowing I was a runner, knowing I had been a track coach, et cetera, with lots of questions. And they kept asking me for advice on how to train. And the next thing I knew, I was coaching athletes. Seems like a very Godfather 2 situation. You know, I try to get out and they pull me back. I was terrible. It's, it's got a lot more details than that. I, I kind of spared you all the, <laughs> yeah. all the, the bloody stuff. <laughs> Uh, obviously you've been you've been coaching folks for for well over 40 years and that's that's actually longer than I've been alive I'll just say <laughs> that now but I again like Chris mentioned uh when I first got into triathlon I was like this seems like a good it's called the bible so it must must have good reference <laughs> I should I should grab this book uh and I read it similar so I didn't have to borrow Chris's copy on there but but also I've been, okay. I've been uh, reading your stuff for a while there um Thank so you. Over the last, you know, 40 years or since you were that high school coach and, and running store owner, <laughs> your, your approach has evolved over, over the years. So what would you say are some of the big differences of when you first started out coaching and, and to where you see the state of, of endurance coaching today? Yeah, lots has, has changed. Um, I guess the thing has changed the most for me uh, over the years has been my, my style of coaching. Um, when I was a junior high, high school, college athlete myself, I, the, the coaches were teaching me how to coach in those days. And that was to be a dictator. You were kind of an autocrat. It was my way or the highway, either the way I tell you or get out of here. That was the way I began coaching myself back in the seventies when I was a high school coach. And by, by the time I was leaving high school coaching and starting to work with adult athletes through my running store, I was beginning to realize that my coaching style was changed. I was moving gradually from being an autocrat to being more of a Democrat. And that continued all through my coaching career to the point that I was, you know, when you're, when you're a democratic coach, you involve the athlete a lot more in the decision-making process. Whereas when you're an autocratic coach, it's, you're the only person that knows anything. You just disregard everybody else's opinion. And so that, changed for me gradually over time and I became a much more democratic coach which is how I assume I operate today at least I like to think I do it that way so that was probably the main thing that changed for me was just mostly the coaching style but to get back into methodology there are just so many details when I was a student I ran track and field in junior high school and college um, in those days, uh, basically you did a hard workout every day you could, if you couldn't do it, there was something wrong with you. And that was just the way it was seen by everybody, including coaches. And, uh, we didn't pay any attention to sports science at all back in those days. And so what's evolved, of course, over the years is I've become much more aware of the need for recovery and rest and all this to make sure the athlete is able to achieve at a high level. If you're fatigued all the time you're never going to accomplish anything so that that's probably the second biggest thing that's changed for me is just that method, methodological change and and that that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to methodology there's a gigantic number of things which i won't go into here now but that's that's the big thing that's changed 
Yeah, I've I've definitely seen that, and it, it it goes hand in hand with sort of being less of the dictator and more of talking to the athlete. If you're just telling them what to do, you're not hearing them say, "Hey, coach, my legs are they're trashed. I've done three track workouts in a day, and you got me doing two hours on the trails. You know, I I can't handle this kind of thing." Um, so it, it's I love to hear the the evolution of that, and I think we've seen that trend carry throughout. You know, not just with your specific coaching philosophy, but recovery and, um, you know, periodizational training has become way more popular, especially in the last 10 years or, or so, probably sure. longer from, from your point of view, you've been You're right. in the trenches I agree. longer. So, so, so coach Friel, you base a lot of your coaching philosophy on sports science and what the data tells us and, and, and all the research that's being had. So focusing kind of on older adults, what is your take on what the science tells us about exercising into quote unquote old age? Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about how athletes uh, respond to aging as a starting point for this con- conversation. Um, one of the first things we notice as we get older and by older, that, that varies with the individual that could be for some people in their thirties for other people in their fifties. But as some people get older, what they begin to do sometimes without, without even thinking about it is it begin to migrate toward a method of churning in which they do long, slow distance all the time. They just go out for easy workouts. They never push themselves at all. And that kind of becomes the, the standard for the older athlete. And what I did in the, in, in the book was I tried to show how, why that's wrong, why that does not work. You can't do it that way if you want to maintain any kind of performance level at all, which is respectable relative to your earlier days in life. Um, and I, I won't go through the research here, but there's lots of research that showed this to be the case that as we get older, uh, the need to um, do some intense exercise, and this doesn't mean all the time, obviously, but the need to do some intense exercise from time to time is necessary. And if we're not doing that, we can expect the loss of performance to be rather steep. Um, we can look at VO2 max, for example. VO2 max is going to go down over the course of your life. It's one of the markers of your fitness. It's, it's going to go down. You have no choice. You can't stop it. You can reverse it temporarily, but you can't stop it. It's going to go down. But what we can do is we can slow down the decline in VO2 max by doing some high-intensity training. If you never do high-intensity training, you don't slow it down nearly as much. You, it, it actually, um, if you will, accelerates relative to the, to the athlete who's doing high-intensity training. And, and there's so many other pieces here about this whole thing that gets into the details of being an older athlete. But that, that's probably the main thing, kind of the starting point for what I, the point I was trying to make in the book is that you need to maintain some high-intensity to be effective as an athlete later in life. Yeah. So, so I have a follow up. We're going to ask this later, but I think it's relevant to ask now. So, you know, there's, there's a physical slowing down VO2 max, I think is a great example, but there's also sort of the emotional mental piece of just like, this is a, this is a question we got where it's like, well, how do you go from sort of quote unquote chasing PRs all the time mentally to be more at peace where you are and sort of understand that their VO2 max is going to go down, but that's just, you know, if you accept that as a reality, then you can sort of move forward and do what you can. That's true. You've got to accept it as a reality. It's just, it's just the nature of life. Um, we'll never see, you know, an, an 80 year old athlete with a VO2 max in the nineties. 
that's never going to happen. But we can find plenty of 20-year-olds, especially cross-country skiers with VO2 max in the 90s, um, but they're going to lose it also. It's going to be a, a decline for every one of us. Fortunately, the higher it starts, the the, um, the more of a chance you've got for lasting a long time. But even if you quit doing the high-intensity training, the, the slide, the, the downward decline is going to be hastened, even for those people who had a VO2 maxes that are elite levels. So yeah, we've got to we've got to maintain some churning at a high intensity level to uh, to do this. It really comes down to your attitude about who you are um, as a person, as an athlete. Who am I? And you have to realize that numbers are not going to be the same as you get older. Um, what I do, I'm I'm in my late seventies now, and what I do is I I'm always comparing where I am right now with where I was a year ago. But I quit comparing with where I was ten years ago, 15, 20 years ago. Because I know those things are going to be really depressing if I start looking at that kind of stuff all the time. But looking at where I was a year ago and trying to improve on that kind of gives me this this hope that I can continue to be uh, um, a decent athlete as I as I age up. Yeah, I like that. And though it, now we're talking about more more seasoned athletes, but I sort of the speaking a little bit about the acceptance piece. Uh, I when I became a dad, I sort of thought, oh, I can I can do all my high intensity, uh, you know, Ironman triathlon training, my my job at work, being a, a good husband and and a great friend, and be a dad. Like <laughs> raising a kid is is no no. I'll just throw it on top of the heap, uh, and that that was a lesson that I learned the hard way that that was not possible. Yeah. Um, but I sort of had to have a little bit of that kind of acceptance. And this is in my uh, you know late twenties of. Hey, I can't be looking at what I was doing two years ago at you know what my uh, you know what my watts per kilogram is or how fast my minute per mile is because I'm not the same athlete. I have a much different uh, diversity mix of things that I'm doing in my life, and one big chunk of those is now raising kids and and things like that. So I think the advice that you're giving is very applicable even to a seasoned uh, a seasoned. Uh, athlete and in even some uh what some people might refer to as young pups uh you know coming up uh, uh there so i i love i love the take on that and it unfortunately it's not as easy uh i wish it was as easy as just to flip a switch and say okay i'm over it I, i'm not going to yeah. compare myself but it, it's a journey for sure a work in progress you're right a work yeah. in progress. I, I recall my my uh my son was a, a pro cyclist in europe back in the early 90s um really good athlete and he got married i think around 1996 or 7 right around there and in 2003 his wife was expecting their first child and i can recall to this day having a conversation with my son uh basically telling him that your life is about to change dramatically it's not going to be anything like it was prior to the child's birth uh from that point on you're a different person your relationship as a in, in sport as an athlete is going to change dramatically. And um, that's true. It's just because I recall it happening to me when my, when my son was born, you know, my life changed just immensely. And that included everything I did as an athlete. It just is the way it is, but that's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. I think to, to see this happen, that means that you're kind of coming to realization of who I am as a, 
as a person and what my responsibilities are in life and responsibilities are greater than your, your next um, race. So I think it's a really good thing, but um, he came to that same realization very quickly himself. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And I, f- I feel like it gave me such a, a deeper grasp on prioritization and time management of like, Hey, I have 90 minutes to do yeah. this and I'm not going to waste my time, you know, driving, 30 minutes to get to somewhere. I'm going to get this done as quickly as possible. I, I think, I think in addition to that, it's like perspective as well. Yeah. It's like, Hey, if I can't make that cause my kid is sick, I'm not going to flog myself for missing one workout. You know, like yeah. that it's much more important to be present um, than it is to make sure you get that, you know, whatever tempo run in yeah. or something. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is going back to this idea of aging is that as you get old enough, re- what happens is actually everything reverses. Um, you know, my son has now got his own family. I'm not responsible for raising, raising him anymore. I don't worry about his grades in school or who he's hanging <laughs> out with and all that kind of stuff. He's an adult. He takes care of himself. And so now my life has shifted back the other way. I've got time on my hands to do things I enjoy doing the most, which for me is largely training, doing things along that line. So it's interesting how life kind of goes through these stages and you have to adapt every time you go to a new stage. But now, so the last, this has been quite a while now because my son is, what, he's 51 years old right now. You know, so I adapted quite a long time ago to his his leaving my life as my stay-at-home son. Uh, and when he became his own, his own um, father, uh, husband, so forth, you know, my life began to shift again. I, I shifted back toward having a lot more time in my life to do things I enjoyed doing. And that's continued as I've retired. I, I don't really work nearly as much as I used to. And consequently, I've got more time to do things I, I really enjoy doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're still, you're still pumping out a prolific amount of work and a prolific, you know, and just a ton of, of, of education for people, including on diet and nutrition. Um, and I, I'm, I'm assuming you know, I'm, I'm sort of heading towards quote unquote older adulthood myself, but I'm assuming that, that nutrition and diet needs change as athletes like age up. What's, what's your thinking around that? Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, for example, I was just reading an article this morning in the uh, Washington post. I think it was maybe in the New York times. I've forgotten. I read both of them daily. And I, rec- there, there was an article in there about um, aging athletes and uh, it reminded me of some research I talked about in my book. One of the things we learn as we get older is most athletes, most older athletes need more protein than they do when they're young because they're losing muscle mass and protein helps to maintain that muscle mass if you do the right kind of exercise along with it, mostly strength work. But if you're doing that, then you need to increase your, your, your protein intake. And so that's one of the changes that needs to take place as you get older. And this doesn't just mean eating more food, you know, more, taking in more calories. Something has to, to go. And the most common thing we probably should uh, reduce in our life at this point in time is, is carbohydrate. So kind of shift some of the calories from carbohydrate over to protein. And uh, that's got some benefits as far as maintaining muscle mass as you get older. So yeah, there, there is a, there's a changing process that goes on throughout your, throughout your life. And part of that is certainly your diet. Yeah, I hear. 
I, I shed one tear for the reduced carb intake. <laughs> I love I love my carbs. <laughs> um. So so we 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 got some some questions from listeners, and you know this is a swim run podcast, so we're talking about events that are usually point to point. You know, swim run. We've been saying lately is cold business. So you're going swimming and running, alter, you know, alternating between different mm-hmm. distances, different terrains, all kinds of stuff through the woods, um, and. There's 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 an injury risk there, and we've heard from from older from older swim runners that there, some of these events are really challenging. It can take eight to ten hours, fourteen hours, mm-hmm. um, and 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 accumulating enough training to be able to compete in these events is uh is is essentially like an injury risk. So so we had we got a question from listeners on sort of how can you manage your injury risk while trying to accumulate just enough volume to be able to successfully complete some of these events. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. Um, one thing is being, um, patient. I'm afraid this is not a skill that a lot of athletes have. Um, Guilty. Most of us are impatient. We want results immediately. So for example, so if I was to tell a group of athletes that the ultimate high intensity interval workout is let's say five times, three minutes at your aerobic capacity intensity with 90 second recoveries. What I would find is the next day, all these people would be going out and doing five times, three minutes, et cetera. Um, even though they're not ready for it, they're very impatient. It, it takes something like probably in the order of somewhere between six weeks and six months, depending on where the athlete is starting from to be able to do that kind of a workout. But most athletes decide they're going to do it immediately uh, because it's the top thing in the list. It's the most important thing you can do. Therefore I'm going to do it tomorrow. And consequently, they wind up injured. They wind up with a bad knee or um, a strained muscle or something. Something's given them some fits, physiological fits, and they're broken down for some period of time. And so what they come to do is they come to the conclusion, I just can't do high intensity. That's the problem. I've got to stop doing that and just go out and do long, slow distance all the time. And they're exactly wrong. If, if the ultimate workout is five times, three minutes, whatever I said it, in VO2 max with 90-second recoveries after each one, where the out of start is like with two times 30 seconds at that intensity with a minute recovery between them, and that's the only intervals they do that week, that would be the starting point. And the next week, maybe they do three of those intervals for 30 seconds, et cetera, et cetera. And this goes on for weeks, if not months, until they finally arrive to the point where they can do five times, three minutes, et cetera. That's what most athletes don't have the, the, um, the will to do. It really wants to happen immediately. They lack patience. So number one, the way to avoid injury is to be patient. Your body will adapt if you give it time. Uh, I read a study not too long ago. In fact, this was repeated in an article I read, I think it was yesterday in the in one of the magazines or one of the newspapers I read that um, back in, I forgot when it was back in the early two thousands, there was a study done at a, at a uh, nursing home in the U S in which they had uh, a lot of, a lot of people who lived there in their nineties. And what they wanted to do was to see how fast these people could improve their strength. And so they had them, uh, do a strength training program for, I believe it was 12 weeks, if I recall. And at the same time, they had a group of college students who were new to strength training also do strength training workouts for 12 weeks. Of course, each was working out at their own physical capability level, making progress at their own levels. 
what they came to the conclusion was that after 12 weeks, the 90-year-olds had improved just as much percentage-wise as the college students had improved in terms of their strength. So the point is, it doesn't really matter how old you are. If you're patient enough, you can, you can improve almost anything physio physiologically in your life. It doesn't mean you're going to become the best in the world. It's going to be relative to who you are as a person and as an athlete, but you just have to be patient. You have to realize that it's going to take time to, to achieve this, but age is not going to stop you from achieving it. It's, it's really mostly mental than it is physiological. I mean, that's some serious, that's a, some serious wisdom right there. Yeah. That's a, that's much appreciated. A, I got, got a little mind blown, blown on that one. Maybe we'll make that into a poster or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. And I, I, I love how you, I was, I was going to tie it in, but I didn't have to, cause you're, you're an expert and you did it yourself, uh, into, uh, the callback onto the, the high intensity training about kind of building into that, you know, I mean, if you're going from couch to a marathon your day one workouts, not okay. Go run 20 miles. That, yeah, let's, everyone uh, look at you like, what? That's not the yeah, craziest let's, thing let's, I've ever let's heard. Let's see where you're at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like exactly get, right. Get started and, 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 and slowly there. And I think, yeah, embracing, um, embracing the process and, and the journey is something that I feel like is, is sort of a, I guess for lack of a better word, a mantra that, you know, Chris and I have, have kind of adopted as we have tried to, uh, improve our our own journey of fitness within swim run is like you know it's it's a long-term project if you will it's not a it's not a it's not a little report that you're doing over the weekend it's a project and that takes a while to to get to the end of it so we found right. that to be helpful and glad to hear yeah. that uh, you do too <laughs> yeah you're right anything worth having takes a while to get it's not going to happen overnight ah that's a great that's a great point there um so you, we, we, we sort of touched on a little bit with the high intensity training, but do you, especially kind of, again, uh, indexing more on, on the older, more seasoned athlete, do you find yourself prescribing more cross training or is, is cross training become a bigger part of the sort of, I guess, training mix as, as you get older? It could very well. Uh, cross training is a, is a great thing for athletes to be doing, especially, especially I would suggest for runners probably more than for most other endurance sports, simply because running does place more stress on joints, uh, muscles, bones, etc. And sometimes um, in our desire to uh, become the best athlete we possibly can, we push ourselves too far and we can wind up with something which is a fairly serious injury. So cross training is one way to, to get around that. Um, the swimming, as you're both doing, in addition to your running, is a, is a great cross trainer for runners. It takes all the stress off of bones and joints and so forth, and, and it allows you to still work out aerobically. So that, that's a great combination, but it could be riding the bike also if you're a runner. Um, spending time on, on a bike is a great way to uh, take the same amount of, same type of stress off of the, off of the body while you're still building aerobic or maintaining aerobic fitness. So you've got lots of options available to you, but cross journey is one of the, is one of the, the great options out there, especially for runners. I love that. And then I, I, I would assume that you would be sort of also prescribing, like, let's say, um, instead of running four days a week, peel that back to three, but, uh, maybe the fourth day is on the bike and, and you are doing still the, you would, maybe the high intensity you still would be within your cross training or do you try to keep the high intensity 
uh, training to be towards, I guess, what would be considered your, your sort of specific sport, if it's swimming and running or triathlon or whatever? Um, how, how do you approach that? Yeah, that's going to come down a lot to the to the individual okay. and what they can manage. If we are talking about running, is since it's the most uh, most risky in terms of injury uh, of the major endurance sports. Um, yeah, that that's a good example of trying to find a way to how do I balance things out. I would prefer to see the athlete if if this person is a runner doing their high intensity training um, as running. But that may not be possible. It just depends on the individual. Some people can do that. Some, you know, one, one of the things I recommend to people, endurance athletes of all ages, really, is they do five easy workouts a week and two hard days a week. And that works out to be not too far off of 80-20, which is a thing we've been talking about now for about 20 years or so, a little less than 20 years. But that that gives you the opportunity to um, to do two hard workouts a week separated, like on say a Tuesday and Saturday, something like that, as opposed to being Tuesday, Wednesday, you don't want to do them back to back. If you spread them out with um, easier workouts, which could be cross training, which could even include a day off or two days off of, of those five days. then I think that's a good way to um, kind of hold down the, the, uh, the risk of injury is by, um, doing as a starting place. I'm going to do two hard days a week. They're going to be separated by several days, three to three days, for example. And, uh, uh, and my other workouts will either be uh, uh, some in my primary sports, some in my cross training sports that I enjoy, and some are going to be a day off. And so if that mix is what you do all week long, every week to kind of keep things from getting out of, uh, out of whack. I mean that that makes a lot of sense. I feel like though that that'd be pretty hard for individuals to kind of manage on their own. So it it, it kind of begs the question is like well, what what do you think are are good coaching resources for I guess you know we're talking about older adults specifically for this but it really applies to all athletes. Um it sounds like if you're doing this self-directed probably increasing the opportunity of getting injured. Um so what resources do you think people should be looking at? And 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 this isn't a I'm not asking you not to, to, to like plug to plug your own bar. books, you know, <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah, which, which we to, recommend, though, yeah. which we totally, totally recommend the training Bibles. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but what, what resources do you think um, are, are best for, for folks to do this in a way that's guided and, and minimize the risk of injury, I guess. Well, the best thing a person could do is hire a coach. Somebody knows what they're doing. Um, that person can, who should have a background in, in all of this and know how to work with, an athlete of, of any age, really. Uh, some some specialized, by the way, in older athletes. I've got a, a friend who's a coach um, in Arizona, and he specializes in uh, aging athletes over the age of sixty, um, and he does a great job with them. So that that's one of the options is simply to look for somebody who's got a, a background in all this and can give you some guidance. Um, if unable to do that, there's, because there's obviously costs associated with that. Coaches typically don't operate for free. Um, it may cost you something to, uh, to get somebody involved in your training, but if you want to, if, if you can't afford that, the next best option is to learn all you can become a coach yourself, become knowledgeable. That's not easy. It takes time, um, it involves, uh, reading, for example, it involves, uh, going on the internet and following 
people, for example, I, I, a great way to do this would be to go on to uh, Twitter, open an account there if you don't already have one, and then follow people on Twitter who are uh, quite knowledgeable in this area of how to, how to train. A good example that comes to mind is uh, Dr. Stephen Seiler from uh, an American who teaches in Norway. He's done lots of research on, on uh, training of athletes of all ages. Um, and he's, you know, following him, you'll learn a heck of a lot because every day he's, he's got some more information he's putting out there. Quite often involves your reading, going someplace and, and reading a, uh, an article that he's written or somebody else has written or, or maybe a research study that he's referring to. But that would be a good way to do it also. That's the next best thing is to become a coach yourself. The next best thing after that, I guess, is, is experimentation, yeah, which can be sometimes, sometimes kind of dangerous. What can my body handle? And um, just be very, very cautious in what you, what kind of limits you give to yourself. Some people don't assume they have no limits. What we were talking about before with the patients sort of thing. And so we consequently, you know, that that's another option for the athlete is just to, to try things and to see what works best for them. But, but in the process of doing this to be very patient while they're doing it. So there are options, the best one. Oh, and another option I left out is, is to buy a training plan. There's coaches create training plans online and they're targeted to certain markets. There would just, for example, be a training plans that are written for people over the age of 50 um, or, or different ages and um, people who are brand new to the sport or people who are well-established in the sport, have people who train five hours a week versus people who train 15 hours a week. So you can go online, you can look for these training plans and, and they'll typically cost you something, but sometimes the price is not all that um, great. In some cases, you know, $30, $40, maybe US dollars, maybe the place that we're talking about here for buying a plan, but you can spend a lot more than that. Also, you can buy plans that cost a couple hundred dollars. And you typically get what you pay for. I found on stuff like that, but you know, that's, that gives you some more options. If, if you're learning how to become a coach yourself, learning how to train yourself and you buy a plan, you've now got in your hands, something you can think about. Should I do this as the plan calls for it or do something different based on what I have learned from my own research. So there, there are options out there, but they all involve, they're not going to come easy. They're going to involve, money or time in, in every case. You know, that, that reminds me a lot of, I mean, that seems like a very typical journey. I mean, speaking for myself and I think I can speak for Chipper when we got into uh, triathlon back in the day. Um, once you're, when you're really into it and you have, you know, quote unquote, the sickness, it's like, you're trying to just, you're, you're consuming podcasts, you're reading triathlete magazine, inside triathlete when it was still, when that was still a magazine, you're, you're, you're absorbing all this content and, and, um, and, and one of it is, is obviously books and stuff. Um, but, but, but it's also like, it's almost like sometimes too much information is dangerous as well because you start sort of second guessing all the workouts that you're, well, I read that this person said you should only do blah, 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 blah. So, so how do you kind of like filter out all this knowledge that's coming to you into something that, um, that is, that, that is tangible? Is, is there like a couple nuggets of just, this is going to sound terrible, but like generalizations around exercise that, that people should just sort of hang their hat on and then go from there? Yeah, you need a starting place, don't you? You need kind of, kind of what is what is good information, what is what is bad information. You, on the internet, you can find 
plenty of both. <laughs> um, so it's kind of being cautious. And I, you know, the starting place, I guess, and this is almost sounds like I'm trying to make an ad for myself here, but start with, with a book, um, something to trust and read that and figure out what is this author's uh, training philosophy? How, do this, how does this author see the world? Not only in terms of uh, their philosophy, but also their, which is the detail of philosophy, but the met their methodology, what they would have you do. And if you believe that is uh, appropriate for you, something that's going to work for the way you, who you are, then as you, as you read other things online, uh, judge them against that filter. How does this fit, fit in with what I've learned from having followed this person's way of seeing the, the world of sport? And um, always kind of keep it in the back of your mind that, uh, you know, the person you've, you've accepted as being the, the uh, guide, your overall guide may be wrong also. So there, it's, you can, you've got to always be thinking about everything you're reading and obviously as it applies to you, that that's the primary question. Does this apply to me? Is it appropriate for me or is it not appropriate for me? So it's, it's not, you know, being a, being a self-coached athlete is not easy. That, that's why I always suggest that people look into having a coach. Somebody can give them guidance. Good coaches are, can do a heck of a lot for an athlete such as avoiding injuries and all the stuff we've been talking about. Um, so that that's always one of the best options there is, is just look for somebody who knows what they're doing, get them involved in your, in your training. Yeah. Love it. Great. And uh, we won't, we won't keep it too much longer, but uh, you know, s since the seventies triathlon, you were going, you had a Timex watch that just was telling you, a stopwatch, essentially. Heart rate monitor that was giant. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, did they have heart rate monitors they were, back then? They were large. Okay. And were really large. did they have cell phones? I'll, I'll figure that out yeah, later. <laughs> okay. Um, and now you have, you know, literally rings that have crazy biometric, tell you, you know, how you slept and all sort of stuff like that. And you've seen this sort of evolution really explode in the last, I would say, 10 to or 5 to 10 years for sure. Are you, how, what is your sort of approach to all these, you know, I'm sure everyone... I mean, people can have a sensor on almost any part of their body now, it seems, to collect some sort of piece of data. How do you balance that? And, and do, you, do you personally kind of prescribe a lot of, quote-unquote, technology to, to your athletes to help? Or do you find it to be more of a, more of a hindrance or a crutch. crutch or muddies the waters? Yeah, there's a couple of ways of looking at that. And I'm kind of in the middle on both on the, those extremes. But you're Probably right. Healthy. <laughs> this goes back a long ways. I, I can recall when I was an athlete back in the 1960s in college, track and field. Only the coach had a stopwatch. Nobody, nobody. There was no wristwatches in those days that had stopwatches built in. So only the coach knew what your time was for the last 400 meters or whatever it is you just ran. And um, so you you were entirely reliant on the coach for feedback on what's going on other than how you felt, which by the way, was an extremely valuable thing as I discovered later on in life, mm -hmm. knowing how you feel during a workout, you know, on a scale, how, when I'm doing intervals, for example, on a scale of one to 10, how hard was that interval? I just did, you know, that was the sort of thing we did back in those days. We talked in terms of how it felt as opposed to what was my time. Because if the coach wasn't there, we didn't know what our time was. We were just kind of like guessing, talking about this 
this sort of stuff. And now, as you mentioned, and this has been a long process, now we've got everything being measured, how much time you sleep, how many steps you take during the day, what your heart rate is high and low throughout the day, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This, this has just become, we're overwhelmed with information now. And I'm afraid some people get too bogged down in the information. Mm-hmm. And this, this holds true when they're, when they're training. Um, when I'm, uh, when I've been uh, screening athletes, so I, when I look for athletes, I want to, the uh, athletes come to me when, looking for coaching. I have questions I ask. I want to make sure that we're going to be compatible with one another. And one of the questions I ask is what, what uh, types of devices do you have? And most today have a, um, a heart rate monitor and a stopwatch, maybe a speed uh, and, and a pace device for running uh, and, and other things. And the next question is, well, how much time do you spend looking at your data post-workout? I'm somewhat skeptical of working with an athlete who spends as much time looking at the data as it did doing the workout. <laughs> yeah. That, that tells me there's something strange going on here. The person is overly, overly involved with data. Uh, not that bad as data is bad. I, I love data. I love to um, look at a workout for an athlete. I've been coaching, for example, and, and see how we're doing, but I've narrowed it down to things that I think are important. I don't look at the entire world of what they just did. I want to look at maybe two or three things they just did and see what those numbers are like compared with previous workouts. That is what I decide is most important for the athlete as far as their data is concerned. And, and so the athlete needs to be, get to the same point where they're, they're not looking at all data. All data is not what you want. You want data that is specific to your needs. What, what is it you exactly need to improve? Measure that. Don't measure everything. Just measure what is important to you. Yeah, what I mean, great approach that 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 just sounds so balanced and talk about like patient and, pers- you know, and having perspective. I think that that's super important now, given this technology, you know, and the and sort of the rise of Strava and things like that, like it's really become kind of a social thing as well. Like, oh, you post your workout, you want to sort of impress your friends or, or whatever your motivation is to to kind of be on that platform. And obviously that can get really unhealthy. But but community in endurance sports, especially for individual sports, like, well, swim runs usually a team sport, but like triathlon where it's essentially you're just a one-man band. Um, I feel like community has become more important, but it's also sort of changed over the years. How important do you think community is, whether it's like a tri-club or, swim, you know, swim run club, they don't really exist yet, but we're working on that. Um, in, uh, in, you know, in, in sort of helping athletes have a better relationship with their data and with their training. Yeah, I think community is extremely important. Um, most people um, ha- knowing that they've got other people involved in their, if you will, in their life, because we're sharing data with one another, that may be online or that may be in, in uh, conversations you have with friends. Um, that I think is, is really important. Uh, we we're, we're humans. We thrive on community. We're social animals. We like sharing what's going on with our lives and hearing what others are experiencing, especially if what the others are doing is very similar to what I'm doing. If there's an overlap between my life and their life in some area, like we're both runners, for example, uh, I'm, 
I'm going to be listening to what they say. I want to hear what they've, what they're finding out. Cause that, that may be beneficial to me. And that it's always been that way. It's just the way we are as humans. Uh, I don't care when it is. We've, we've got all kinds of data we can share with one another now, but back in those days when I was before data was available, we did the same thing. We'd talk about how hard the workouts were and how hard did it feel to you. And, you know, we were sharing information, which really was not so much hard data as it was opinion. Um, but it was the same thing. We, people just like to share what they're experiencing and like to hear what other people are experiencing, especially if there's overlap between what they're doing. That makes, that makes a yeah. lot of sense. Um, now, now final question. Um, are we going to see you at the start line of a swim run? At, uh, at any point? <laughs> uh, I may be watching, but I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I had to quit swimming back in 20, uh, 2014. Hmm. I was in a very bad bike crash in, uh, uh, 2014, January, 2014, uh, broke seven bones in, two of those bones were my clavicle and my scapula, my left shoulder, which I had broken once before, several years prior to that. And it was already giving me trouble in my swimming. And after I broke them the second time, I lost range of motion. I couldn't swim freestyle anymore. And I would be reluctant to get out there and try to swim uh, in a race uh, wow. uh, with a doggy paddle. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't somehow seem right. Yeah, so it take a while. <laughs> I may be watching, but I won't be swimming. <laughs> well, that's not how I thought that question was going to go. So, uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, but, but Joe, I mean, I honestly, like, it, I'm, I'm such a fan. You've helped so many, at, like I mentioned at the beginning, an entire generation of, tri- of triathletes and endurance athletes have, you know, not totally screwed themselves over in their training, in their racing from, from reading and listening to you. Um, so on behalf of all of them, thank you. And thank you for taking the time to, to join us on our podcast. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Chris and Chipper. It's always enjoyable to talk with other athletes. And uh, I appreciate your kind comments. All right. Of course. Well, we'll see you around. You bet. Thanks again, Coach. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review since that's the best way to help other people discover the show and the support of Swim Run. Sign up for a newsletter at lowtideboys.com. That's boys with a Z. And check out our meme page at the Low Tide Boys on Instagram. If you have any suggestions for the show or questions for us, send us a DM or an email at lowtideboys at gmail.com. We'd like to thank Riding Easy Records for our show music and, of course, our wives for their support and tolerance of all our swim run activities, podcast, and other stuff. Yeah, other stuff. Other way stuff. To, way to keep it PG. Finally, you can support our efforts on Patreon. Until next time, get out there and go for a swim. Go for a run. Then another swim. Then another run. And then another swim. And then another run. And then just keep going. So you're done. So you're done. Or maybe can't stop stop. stuff. (laughs) Well, that's it for this week.